Though the global pandemic may be slowing things down, Spring Branch is taking tangible steps forward to keep our economy strong, like supporting our local businesses, linking them to free online business courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. In Spring Branch, we speak more than 145 different languages, and that diversity translates into a thriving economy. Our district's a melting pot that's a great place to find the staff you need. Spring Branch is working for business. Yours. Find out more at spmd.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast all about real estate, the dirt, the deals, the people, the places. It's all here. I'm Nancy Sarnoff, real estate reporter with the Houston Chronicle. And I'm here today with Rebecca Schutz. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Nancy. (laughs) So Rebecca, about a month ago, I went out for a somewhat rare in-person interview. And I say somewhat rare because obviously we're still in a pandemic and we're still working from home and our face-to-face assignments are still very limited. But this story that I was going out to do was about one of the biggest commercial real estate developments underway in Houston right now. And I was kind of desperate to know what was happening with it. So I put on my mask and I grabbed my notepad and phone and drove downtown to the former post office property, which Mm -hmm. is being redeveloped into a project called Post Houston. Now, I've been covering the story for years. The quick background is that several years ago, the U.S. Postal Service started selling a bunch of real estate. They were closing post offices and consolidating properties. And the Houston Post Office property, which is on Franklin, on the very north side of downtown, was put on the block, put up for sale. And it's more than just a post office. It's a big sorting facility and it had a bunch of office space with administration operations and it's surrounded by these huge parking lots. So it's a lot of land. It's 16 acres. And when the property went up for sale, a bunch of developers bid on it and a company called Love It Commercial was the winning bidder. So last year, Mm -hmm. 2019, the project started, construction began And then a pandemic hits. As you can imagine, I had lots of questions. So today on the show, our guests are Kirby Liu, the project manager of Post Houston, and Jason Long, a partner with the architecture organization OMA. Kirby, Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Nancy, for inviting us. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, so Jason, where where are you calling in from. Are you in New York? I'm in New York, although actually I was in Houston with Kirby uh, just yesterday, but uh, but now I'm in New York. Oh, wow. Oh, excellent. What were you, um, what were you doing? Well, I came down, uh, as you said, uh, we're under construction, and uh, although there may be COVID, there's a lot happening on site, so came down to kind of see that and meet with uh, Kirby and the rest of the people that love it, uh, you know, if you're always making decisions or checking things as they go, so... Yeah. Well, great. Um, Kirby, maybe you can start by just sort of describing the vision of post-Houston. Right. Well, as you said, really throughout the 2010s, the um, post office was facing you know, lots of financial troubles. 
which has really reached its apex in you know the last couple of months or so, really even earlier around 2013, 2014, it was trying to um, liquidate its central properties in um, many downtown areas uh, across the United States from New York, Chicago, Minneapolis, Portland, etc. So uh, we bid on the post office in Houston. And I would say that our post office was not really one of sort of their crown jewel, beautiful 1930s Art Deco types of uh, post offices. Instead, I think there's something distinctly Houston about about the, the Houston post office. Um, firstly, it is uh, was built uh, during the late 1950s and opened in the early 1960s. So it sort of reflected this sort of mid-century focus on pragmatism and industriousness. And I think Houston's always been this type of city that's not been particularly flashy, but it's really about getting work done, getting it done well, and getting it done fast. And so, um, you know, in contrast to some of the other post offices across the country, we're working with a much more uh, industrial uh, type of building, which nonetheless had its own types of quirks and uh, features. Um, You know, number one, for example, because it was being it was built during the height of the Cold War, there's you know multiple nuclear bomb shelters. It was also built over the former site of the Houston Grand Central Station, the railway station. So you know, as we were sort of doing uh, site work on the building, we discovered the old Washington Avenue, the old I-45 Highway, the old roads and railroads, and all these types of things. So it's sort of been this process where we're continuously unearthing Houston's history as we're working through this building, which is, you know, very humble in its appearance, but at the same time does represent so many layers of Houston's development. That's really, that's fascinating to, to hear that you're learning about Houston's history through, yeah, like you said, not, not terribly flashy property. When you first bought this property, did you always kind of have the same vision for it? And can you talk a little bit about what what's going to be there? Like, you know, a couple years from now, what is this thing going to look like? How is it going to be used? Yeah. So Love It Commercial itself is, um, you know, in some ways, this is a very different type of, I mean, it is a very different type of project for us. You know, before 2015, we were primarily sort of a super center, power center type of developer with your big box uh, anchor tenant and your sort of retail pad sites and things like that. And um, what we discovered around 2015 was that all of a sudden, all of that big box retail business, which we were heavily invested in for a long time, started to dry up. And when we went to, you know, let's say Walmart's headquarters and things like that, we saw how that organization was transforming itself into a internet-based retailer. We realized that there was something changing about the way that American cities functioned and the way that people shopped and things like that. You know, we are downstream from that. And so that we had to radically uh, reinterpret and anticipate uh, what our business model and how people interact with shopping and in, in the city uh, in the next you know, 10, 20, 30 years. So that's kind of what drove us in the direction of trying to do something that is more innovative. Of course, you know, when we put on our developer glasses, the first thing people notice about the the site is really not the building or anything like that. It's just the the size of the land itself. And so we went through many iterations uh, about flattening the parcel and turning it into housing or flattening the parcel and doing something 
that's, you know, a new build uh, similar to, let's say, you know, city center or River Oaks district or something like that. Um, so there are many, 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 many iterations of the project. And it was only, I think, um, around 2016, 2017, that we really solidified our final direction of how we wanted to push forward. You know, when you're talking about like toying with the idea of perhaps like flattening it, it seems like the history may be part of the reason you bought it. No, like uh, it's just the uniqueness that factor into why you're interested in it. I mean, certainly we, when we, you know, walk the building, we recognize the inherent potential, the sort of uh, structural kind of, you know, awesomeness of, of that space. But, you know, when you're really in the project planning phase, you're getting input from so many different parties, from financing parties, from brokers, from, you know, just the whole range of, you know, people who wear suits in real estate. And so you get a, uh, and, and, you know, you would not be doing your job if you don't really consider the full implications of every single uh, development option. So I think our process is, is fluid and it can't ever be something that is entirely about, you know, sticking to your guns at the very, very beginning and say, this is what I'm going to do. It is an organic process that continues to respond to the market, responds to input from a variety of people, designers, brokers, um, developers, financiers, and things like that. So Jason, I'm curious from your perspective, what you thought of the property the first time you came to Houston to see it. How familiar were you with Houston in general? Oh, I was pretty familiar. Um, I have family there. My father actually lives there and I was there off and on uh, from childhood on. But in a way that... um, yeah, even even having done that, I didn't know the post office site at all, and and didn't go downtown very much, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a visitor, and so I was very surprised when we first saw it. I mean, it has such a kind of generosity of sheer scale, uh, and and so being so unique as an industrial site directly next to downtown, to a downtown, that was also remarkable, and you know, the generosity. It's not just about the size of the thing, but also it's the sheer robustness of the structure. Mm-hmm. So, and the scale of the interior spaces and the ceiling heights and everything else. I mean, it's something you often see with a historic building like this is, is that kind of generosity that you often don't see in a, a more contemporary building. So being able to take advantage of that was, uh, was a great opportunity. Okay. And so the plan was in place to develop the property. Uh, I think when I... When I first talked to you about it, Kirby, uh, over a year ago, there was plans for a hotel, for uh, all of this retail space, for the large sort of warehouse portion of the building to be chopped up into these different areas with kind of u- unique unique feels feelings to them. I don't know if I'm describing it right, but um, there would be retail, there would be office space, there there was to be a, a large music venue. Um, all of these u- uses brought brought together a food hall, um, but everything done in sort of this like this next level kind of architecture style and, and development style. So you're starting this project, you break ground, and then this pandemic hits. W- what happened? I mean, did you stop construction? Did you have to think about redesigning the space. What was, I mean, what, what happened? How did it affect the project? 
Yeah, well, thankfully, the city of Houston deemed construction um, an essential activity and essential business. So during the the sort of uh, more intense lockdown period in March and April, we were still uh, continuously under construction. And we didn't really have the luxury of pausing just because of the way that this project was financed. So we were kind of stuck in an awkward position where we had to finish by a certain date and um, there was no breathing room, um, so to speak, that COVID uh, afforded us. So, um, but with respect to the fundamental vision of the project, I don't think that the pandemic had really changed the way that those those th- those thought processes worked. Um, so, for example, you know, even prior to COVID, we were seeing you know a variety of of programs changing the way. They were configured and designed in a way to, uh, uh, with an eye toward hybridization. So, for example, um, you know, everyone's talking about working at home, but prior to working at home, you can argue that WeWork was already adopting, you know, home at work, which is adopting sort of a domestic uh, material palette and amenities with coffee and kombucha and play and all these other things, you know, fancy plants and all that kind of stuff. And so, in, in some ways, um, COVID with its sort of hybridization of, of different uh, elements of, you know, having to do everything from home was just an extension of a process that was already happening prior to the pandemic. And so uh, I think, you know, in our project, we've definitely uh, have always had to think of ways of um, juxtaposing and hybridizing um, different, I guess, types of design within a single continuous industrial space. Uh, so, for example, our theater atrium, uh, which, you know, sort of combines maybe like, a, you know, sort of a stair you might see in an opera house or something like that with um, and then, you know, next door in this other sort of grand room is um, sort of an urban market uh, brought into brought into and brought indoors. And, you know, the third atrium, which is our co-working atrium, again, sort of that more domestic uh, palette of wood brought into sort of this industrial space. So I think fundamentally, when we're we're thinking about how COVID is changing the way that people operate in the city, it's about how all of these kinds of activities that people had to go many different places to do, they all have to do from home. And so um, what we see sort of on the other side of the tunnel is that there's still going to be that demand of being, uh, of doing or experiencing multiple types of programs within a single uh, space uh, in the future. Jason, I don't know if the, if you wanted to add to that because as an architect and a designer, I guess I'm curious to know where you think things are headed in in terms of the way the way we work and play and eat and 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 all of those things. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I think Kirby said it uh, well that one of the things that COVID uh, is making us realize or is doing is accelerating kind of hybridization that was already happening. Um, uh, between work and and uh, home, but also between inside and outside. Um, you know, here in New York, and then I know in Houston too, um, it's really accelerated things like eating outside or working outside. And and obviously, the way we're working now is partly about working at home, but also working in a park or working anywhere you you might be able to. And I think that in a way aligns completely with how we designed and envisioned the building because it's. Uh, really orchestrated around these three atriums that are big enough so that and covered with ETFE so that there's a tremendous amount of natural light and they almost feel like outdoor spaces even though you're inside 
and each of them leads up to this you know huge rooftop park with a view back to to, to downtown Houston. Um, and so the way that the building is it itself creates the potential for hybrid conditions where you could go work outside or you could uh, work in a food hall or you could um, uh, eat in your office. <laughs> um, you know, all those things are possible. And in a way, the building is trying to be a kind of machine for that you can uh, move around to make that happen. And, and so I think that that will work well in the kind of post-COVID uh, setup. Kirby, for this project to be successful, you, you're you relying on companies, restaurants, businesses to lease space, right? So how has that changed? Because the economy right now is is really struggling and it's it's coming back slowly but retailers are going out of business restaurants are are going out of business how how have you handled that aspect of the project yeah it is a very tragic situation that i think collectively you know from the government level uh, there needs to be more support for all of these small businesses and all the people who are losing their jobs and things like that. And we are uh, very fortunate to not have to lay off people or, or compress our operations and things like that. But on the other hand, I think just from the way that the economic outlook is looking, it's, you know, people are uh, sometimes have knee jerk reactions that kind of overcorrect and sort of propose in a way abandoning the city um, sort of let's move everything back to you know the confines of our apartment and sort of uh, and you know the future is you know the future is social distancing and things like that and that's just you know that's not how I want to live the rest of my life and that's not how I think people want to live and you know humans, uh, we're social animals. And so I think that we're really planning in a way that sort of welcomes people back to the city once uh, the pandemic is over. With respect to leasing, I think that especially within the restaurant and bar industry, previously, I think many entrepreneurs in the F&B industry were you know, trying to open their own restaurants and bars as standalone locations. Um, and there's just quite a lot of, you know, capital implications about opening a standalone restaurant in terms of build out equipment and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And since those projects have been put on pause, um, what that has meant is that these entrepreneurs still need to figure out a way to create, you know, income in 2021, 2022, 2023 and beyond, but in a way that is a low, low cost way for them to do it. And so our food hall is kind of um, kind of serendipitously geared toward that in a way, because um, we as the landlord are providing, you know, really full build out, full you know, HVAC, uh, you know, air conditioning and uh, equipment and all that kind of other kind of stuff. So really the only cost that uh, potential vendors are responsible for are signage and branding and decorative finishes. So in some ways it's been kind of a bridge between um, where we are now economically and where they hope to be in you know five to ten years, so I hope this is actually something that's going to help the restaurant industry recover uh, in the near uh, near term and medium term. Okay, maybe we should turn this to some of the 
architectural oddities, as as Rebecca put it earlier <laughs> in the building, because I, I don't, Rebecca, I don't think you've seen it, but you, you mentioned the, the tunnels, the spy tunnels. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a strange building to me, having read about it. The fact that there are tunnels, the fact that a post office is that big. I, I guess I'm just curious. And the fact that you've uncovered streets and histories while building it, can you describe some of the oddities and what you're keeping or utilizing? Yeah, Jason, I'd love to hear if anything kind of surprised you when you got in there and, and really took a look. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, the spy tunnels are one of the, the biggest uh, things um, that are the most unexpected things when you first go into the the building. Um, you and know, they, describe, uh, describe if you would, yeah, what they were used for, because they, they sound very ominous and they kind of are, but. Yeah, yeah, um, this is a little ominous. Yeah, we, uh, you know, the building is is uh, an office building, a, a public post office and the warehouse for distribution, you know, all over the region. And the warehouse component, you know, there were really people sorting mail and, and redistributing it in order to police those people or to give the impression that they were policed, uh, maybe more than anything. There's a series of tunnels that are elevated uh, throughout the warehouse uh, that are just big enough for someone to walk through. And they have small slot windows that are, you know, periodically along these tunnels, looking down into where people would be working and sorting the mail. The windows are dark enough so you can't actually ever tell if anyone's in the tunnels or not. And so it's just, uh, I, don't, I have a theory that no one almost ever was, but uh, you just had the feeling that someone was watching you like a kind of uh, <laughs> distributed panopticon. So um, it's a kind of, like you said, ominous, but um, also, anyway, very interesting thing. And one of the nice things is that the, the atriums we've cut through, of course, cut through the tunnels because they would otherwise just carry across. So it's one of the first times you can actually see inside them. And we're using that as a, the ends, open ends of the tunnels is also a place to where we can uh, locate art or, or do, our, do something kind of also unique and interesting in the way we intervene in the space. So, and, so they're um, no longer going to be functional, uh, <laughs> functional hallways, if you will, or corridors. Well, maybe, maybe Kirby will have a secret space uh, <laughs> in there where he takes people. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I I think the found conditions within the building range from the poignant to the horrific. And, you know, for example, in the women's locker room, you know, this this sort of underscores the speed at which people had to just get out, liquidate the facilities. We need that cash now. And the women's locker room, you know, when you open the lockers are still filled with people's family photos or their jacket and all these other kinds of things. So these relics of this, this sort of underscored like how quickly people had to move out of the property. So there's things like that. And then um, we also found a mummified cat. Um, oh cat so very Edgar uh, Allan Poe. Yeah. And, and before <laughs> we had these atriums, which make this building so much more digestible and, and light filled and, and things like that. But it was this sort of cavernous unending field of concrete columns and um, you know, Really, actually, they did film a horror movie in the in the post office. Someone did. I think it was like a, a small independent studio that did a horror movie in there. But um, what was the plot? Do you know? Uh, I didn't watch the whole. <laughs> I think Jason needs to come needs to go a little bit further in terms of their film production. Um, but it was it was interesting. There's last screaming involved. What uh, was it called? Do you remember I, the movie? I, I forgot. Okay. I'll give it to you, but um, <laughs> but you know that that's the. You know, so I think it's a very funny building, just so odd in, in all these different ways. 
So you're leaving the tunnels. Will any of the other history be sort of incorporated? You mean the cat's into the new building? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's lots of little um, relics of a you know sort of bygone era. For example, the bank vaults. Um, you know, people used to send cash through the mail. So um, I think the post office would store all of its valuable mail within these bank vaults and things like that. And so we're repurposing those vaults and turning them into kind of discovered uh, art pieces. Um, it's sort of, you know, the opposite of lobby art in a way. So, you know, these bank vaults are in our lobby, but they're from the outside, there's, you know, virtually nothing remarkable about them. But when you go inside, you sort of are transported into another world. And, um, of course, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the, the facade has to remain the way it is just because of the historic um, conditions. And so um, OMA devised a very kind of clever facade pattern that sort of simultaneously references the kind of punch cards that people used back in the day to clock in and out of their work, but also, um, you know, bring in natural light to the building in a way that um, utilizes the rhythm of the sort of the louver fence and what have you in the facade. So um, there's, you know, there's lots of clever, uh, you know, I think, what is it, constraints or something is like the mother of creativity or creativity or something like that. Um, and so I think there's lots of instances where um, it would not have been our first choice, but um, the final instance of what we've designed was is pretty unique and very different. And even just the location of the property a lot of people think, oh, it's too far from kind of the core of, of the downtown skyscrapers. When you think about the rooftop, you guys should probably talk about this a little bit, just, just sort of what the rooftop is going to look like because it's so sprawling. It's so large. It's going to have all these different uses. But the view of downtown from th- that roof is, is, it's like a postcard. It's, it's, it's perfect. Can you talk about the the roof and and how how that's also going to sort of be separated into different kind of ecosystems? Yeah, well, you know, one thing about Houston is that because it's an inland city, uh, it doesn't necessarily have a skyline that you can think about or envision. You know, usually if you think about the skyline of uh, New York, for example, or Hong Kong, it's because they're on water. But, uh, you know, downtown Houston is on a, a body of water, the Buffalo Bayou, and, and we're right across from it. So it's actually, I mean, one of the, my experiences going there for the first time up to that roof, it, the city feels in a way um, metropolitan in a way that you don't typically uh, think of it being. Uh, not that, I mean, it's a megalopolis and then a kind of major city, but the kind of skyline that its identity is not, uh, I think, fresh in anybody's mind, but you, you do have that kind of postcard view, uh, like you said. So I think it's, when you go up onto that roof, you really see the city in a, in a different way. And, um, and it's, and it is actually very close. I mean, it's, it's right there. So. Um, yeah. And so Kirby, it's going to have restaurants. It's going to have a, a venue. I mean, you can get married with Houston in your, in the, in the background. It's a, uh, Getting married to Houston. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think, you know, this project has always been a situation where we're turning our biggest sort of drawbacks into our strengths, you know, the whole strategy of adaptive reuse and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, this parcel being kind of a island, um, sort of massive island uh, that sort of 
separated but also connected to downtown is also a, both a strength and a weakness um, or a weakness that we've turned into a strength. And so what it's, you know, the sheer scale of the site has allowed us to turn this into sort of an autonomous environment that sort of functions on its own, but still has the ability to make, to have uh, ramifications, urban ramifications across the downtown fabric and beyond. Um, so, and I think um, when we're looking at the site, you know, typically when people talk about like urban planning, it's always from a bird's eye view, put a park here, put an office tower here, put a restaurant here and all this other kind of stuff. But, you know, uh, OMA's design is really sort of using the sort of the section of the building and, and sort of incorporating sort of urban planning ambitions into that one single uh, stack of programs. So you have the office, you have the restaurant, uh, and you have the park within a single site. So that kind of um, autonomy sort of super block is something that I think is definitely going to be uh, unique about the project and uh, something you probably wouldn't um, in other sort of post office sites in Chicago or New York or anything like that. So, you know, we'll see what happens. There's something else that's been on my mind when I've thought about talking to you guys today. A, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a pretty bad construction accident in Houston on the west side of town, and it involved a, a staircase collapsing. And I ended up covering some of some of what happened after that. And uh, such a big part of post-Houston are these really iconic staircase features in each sort of atrium. And I don't know, I just wondered what went through your mind when you when you heard about that accident and if you you know if you if you did anything if you talked to your workers or if the construction company came to you what what was sort of that the aftermath of that accident if there was any in, in your world so our general contractor is widely known to have set the bar and raised the bar with respect to safety on the job sites. And they always are slapping us on the wrist, um, the Levitt team and our consultants and what have you for not uh, following the proper safety protocol and what have you. And, and we try our best to make sure that everyone um, adheres to that. And they were the same general contractor on, on the Western side of town. But I think it underscores that even in really controlled environments where you're really you know, trying your best and following the, you know, following best practices, these types of accidents, tragic, tragic accidents happen. Um, and to always sort of be on your toes and, uh, and, uh, also really appreciate the people who work there. Um, mm -hmm. we're not really, we don't consider them frontline workers in the same way, but, you know, people who build our cities are at risk, putting their life risk to make things happen for everybody. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, a reminder of of what what a risky job that is. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to to hear your thoughts about that. Because really, you know, when I was touring your property, they were putting up that amazing stair that sort of looks like it's floating. It's a it's an architectural feature and they were, you know, they were welding it, the sparks were flying and and stairs have just been have become sort of architectural icons, I think, in a lot of 
a lot of buildings these days. And obviously the, the stairs that collapsed at, in the, in the office building were, were not those, but, um, anyway, it's, it's interesting to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Rebecca, do you have any, any last questions? And then I'm also sort of just curious about the name because post obviously it's a reference to post office, but it's just such an interesting word, you know, sort of something that comes after. I don't know if there's any thinking about the word. I guess this would be my two questions. No, well, absolutely. It was sort of the sort of double meaning behind post and, you know, post Houston. It's also, it's a place. It's a um, prefix that suggests the future um, and, and all these different things about it. So I think um, that, Definitely did, you know, all the different ways of reading the word post did come into how we are, uh, you know, are matching our vision for the building. And that's why we don't like it when people call it the post or the post Houston or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Did you have other names for it? I'd love to hear what that process was like. Oh, yeah. We had uh, many other names. There was like Central Post. And of course, there was also Post HTX, which I think still a lot of people refer to the project, you know, that's our Instagram handle and all that other kind of stuff. So, um, but I think, you know, we ultimately thought that people are going to call it whatever they're going to call it. And we're going to call internally post. Yeah. yeah. And it'll come online post COVID. Uh, <laughs> and what's the estimate of the year? Uh, so it'll be, we believe will be September, or October of next year. will be fully open to the public. Very exciting. Can I say one thing about the when we were talking about stairs? Not so much on the topic of the of the unfortunate accident that happened, but um, you know, I think when you see those stairs in there um, in the three different uh, atriums, we uh, talking about their structure. You know, we tried to make each of them unique in the way that they look, but also the way that they are held up and and to hold them up in a very robust way in each case. So. One spans between the existing structure, the one that you saw, the, the theater atrium stair, one supported by a column uh, in the middle, and one is hung from above. And I think in their structure and the way you move through them and the way you look, uh, the way they look, um, we wanted them to be different because we wanted each to provide a different way of bringing you through the building and up onto the roof. So they also each exit differently onto the roof, one to the north, one to the east and west, and one through the restaurant on the top of the roof. And I think that kind of diversity and the way that each allows you to experience the building in a, in a different way and experience people within the building once people are in there, hopefully makes the kind of experience being there and being on them rich enough that it really pulls people up and makes them want to use stairs because stairs are very popular, as you were saying, but they're also in, in our kind of deep laziness, very unpopular as a way to actually get uh, get around. So. We're, we're hoping that everything we've done will uh, will make them used in, in a big way, not just for moving, but also for even having a performance or, or uh, mm. together. So. And, you know, it's just, uh, I think there's still so many more surprises, I think, that people will encounter once the building finally opens. Um, not just, you know, the stairs, which, you know, this discussion has been focused on, but, you know, the bathrooms are also something that I think people will be very surprised um, at the level of design in the bathrooms, um, the elevators, I think that will be, you know, people will probably ride the elevators four to five times in one single ride just because they want to get the perfect selfie moment and what have you. So um, we've got lots of tricks up our sleeve still to come. <laughs> what a cliffhanger. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Kirby, have you been to that restaurant mad? Yes, I have. Okay. 
or I've seen pictures of it. Actually, I typically don't go to fancy restaurants, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the bathrooms there are kind of interesting to see. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. There, and I think it, they use mostly mirrors, but it's, it's just, it's, it was something, something new that I hadn't seen before. Jason, have you, have you been over there on one of your trips? You taking dad to mad? <laughs> no, no, I haven't taken dad to mad, but I'll have to do that now that I hear it. Next time he's mad, take him to mad. <laughs> you know, we'll give them a run for their money on their coolest bathroom in Houston. So <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for being here and um, and and for sharing everything that you have about the project. It's it mm-hmm. sounds very exciting, and we wish you the best of luck. Thanks, Nancy. Thanks, Rebecca. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And listeners, thank you as well. As always, if you have an idea for a show or just want to say hi, you can reach out to us. We are on Twitter, or you can email us at the Chronicle. Please subscribe to Looped In if you don't already, and tell a friend. Thanks to Scott Kingsley and Afshar Karat. Also, thanks to all the kimonos for our theme music. Until next time, thanks for listening.